You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Doug, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me to be on here. Excited to uh, to chat today. Yeah, I know that we've kind of been in, in pretty close contact over the last couple of years as we started Occupier and, uh, you know, you you became interested in the problems that we were trying to solve. We were still in the middle of a pandemic, but hopefully towards the end. So a lot's changed since we originally uh, met, um, but would love to kind of hear your introduction. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and uh, what you're up to these days. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. So my name is Douglas Jerome. I'm uh, an EVP at Sabre Advisors. Uh, Sabre is a uh, commercial real estate firm. Uh, in particular, we're a retail uh, real estate firm. We have uh, two main groups. One uh, is a, uh, a traditional uh, local brokerage business in Metro New York. Uh, and the other uh, is our national advisory business, which is actually the larger part of our company now. Uh, so my role at Sabre is that I lead that uh, national advisory group uh, with, uh, with one other gentleman. And the national advisory group provides uh, consulting and advisory and brokerage services to uh, national retailers, mostly startup and emerging brands. Uh, that's where our, we find we can add the most value. It's also what's most interesting to us. Uh, we really uh, enjoy uh, working with uh, startups and, and small retail companies uh, because you know they're really dynamic, they're moving fast and doing really interesting things. And one of the things that we do is uh, you know, add a lot of, uh, bring a lot of value to the C-suite or founders. Um, typically they don't have a real estate function uh, at the size. When we start uh, working with them, you know, they're usually you know, your typical you know, CEO, maybe a uh, CFO and COO you know, uh, in some of the ones that are further along, they almost never have a real estate function. And so uh, we usually will, you know, fill that role completely. So they'll outsource that entirely to us. And we become very integrated into what they're doing and consult to them on on all things related to retail, not just uh, the brokerage, but, you know, we'll get into them on their customer profiles and, you know, building their strategic plan and, and working with them on their pro forma and, and things like that we'll we may uh, help present uh, to their board of directors about the real estate program lots of different things um, beyond just the brokerage services and then once there's a plan in place uh, we'll execute that plan and what you would you know consider more typically like master brokerage so uh, we have a network of both saber and non-saber uh, partners across the country uh, and, and Sabre is uh, through our partnership with uh, EXP Commercial, we're licensed uh, in all 50 states uh, in the US. Uh, and so uh, we've also uh, over the last couple of years built uh, or are building a virtual brokerage, which we can get into, into talking about a little bit later. Awesome. I find it fascinating that, um, you know, your original take on 
the, the startup founders not having any sort of real estate function or, or, or strategy behind that is, is seems counterintuitive, right? Because the retail business is, is very dependent on the real estate aspect of it. But when you get into the minds of these founders, they're just focused on their experience and their brand and whatever product they're right. selling. So but at what stage do you usually get involved? Is it when they have one storefront and it's starting to show promise, so they want to expand? Is it a more kind of thought out like regional rollout? Or is it like a franchise model where, you know, they, they're going to test it out in one market? Or is it a little bit all of the above? Like, how does a, how does a startup retailer actually like get started? It's, it's a little of all of the above and it depends on the circumstance. Yeah, we will in some cases be referred to somebody who has not opened a single store yet, uh, but they, uh, you know, they're putting the pieces together and, and we're smart enough to ask the question about real estate or uh, a lot of times for sure it's somebody who's got one or two uh, locations in the market that they live in. They're having some, some really good success uh, and they're ready to scale and then uh, others can be, uh, you know, somebody that that has, you know, somewhat of a footprint, uh, you know, and also can be franchised. The so same kind of thing. It may be a franchisor that that has that, you know, corporate store and is ready to uh, to roll out, you know, with franchising. The thing that all of these have in common, or or to say it in a, in a different way, we get involved with folks that meet a couple of qualifications, and something that I think uh, not a lot of people uh, probably think about, but we actually look at the process of partnering with new clients uh, in a lot of ways, like you would making venture capital or, or private equity investments. Uh, we're putting a lot of resources and, and time and uh, into these companies. We need to do our due diligence. You know, when you're, you know, if you're gonna go and, and pick up the program from somebody who's got a couple hundred stores, you know, you don't have to dig as hard into, you know, their financials, their ability to expand, et cetera. When somebody's got one or two stores for us, they will. So we we're not looking to you know, work with somebody who uh, doesn't have a kind of a grand plan or a, a, a big ambition as well as uh, the connections and resources to get there. So a key thing that we're looking for is somebody that has the ability to get financed or has done a raise. So um, somebody that's in the course of maybe a series A or has just done a series A or a series B, um, that's a great time for us to get in because now they've got the fuel to really go. You know, we can we can build this great infrastructure and put together this great plan. But if you have no money or can only do one store a year, we're kind of wasting each other's time. You don't you don't need us. Somebody else can help you. Uh, right. You know, we really need to be with you know connecting with the people that you know are you know ready to ready to scale. All right, or preparing to scale. Yeah, and you would imagine if they've gone through the process of diligence for a Series A or a Series B, a big part of their pitch was probably this is how we're going to blow this thing up so real right. estate is obviously a major capital expense for them at that point so it's like okay we kind of need to figure this out now um totally if, if they don't have a pre-existing relationship with a with a brokerage firm or or a, a consultant or they don't have a track record in real estate then they need to get referred to somebody somehow are, how are you guys actually finding your clients is it mostly kind of relationship word of mouth is it a lot of like direct outreach how, it's, talk a little bit yeah, about your process for developing relationships. 
For sure. Yeah, it's definitely uh, some direct relationships. Yeah, I've been in the business over 25 years. Jason Ciano is the CEO and founder uh, of the company, uh, has, has been in business about 20 years. His partner, Ken Breslin, you know, the Breslin family has been in real estate since I think Earth was created. Uh, <laughs> you know, so there's, there's uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of connections and a lot of history. And, and we have a great team who also has a lot of connections. So we definitely uh, get a a lot of inbound uh, referrals and connections there. Uh, but we also get a lot of leads and or do a lot of prospecting through social media. Uh, I was actually on a panel earlier today uh, and we were talking to about a thousand people that were gathered to talk about so, you know, building a personal brand and, and you know, becoming a media company. Uh, you know, in commercial real estate. And we are in that, you know, both feet all the way up you know, to our neck. We are huge believers in that as a way to, to market and to drive business. And, you know, the ROI for us on social media is great. You know, we've, you know, we've built a national footprint and a national brand in this space, you know, and, and we're not one of the big four, or big five, however you want to look at that, but, but we've, we've got uh, you know, visibility across the country and that drives a lot of leads. And, you know, if you look at our social and our branding, you know, we are definitely offering an alternative, uh, you know, type of attitude and style and, and kind of philosophy than a lot of our competitors. So we, we match that up with our ability and, you know, we are very appealing to a lot of the really great new brands that are out there, the D2C brands and lifestyle brands were huge in the health and wellness vertical. Uh, as well as in, in restaurant and hospitality, because those founders really you know, click with our vibe. And, you know, we, we have uh, a lot of mutual interests. And, and, you know, when you're working with companies that are this small, like everybody kind of has to see things the same way and, and just kind of like each other and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, we're able to attract the clients that are a lot of fun for us to work. So it's great for everybody. Yeah. Like what advice would you give to a, either an individual broker or an emerging firm to bring that kind of branding and social media strategy to life? Because I, I mean, I, I'm an ex-broker. I remember back in you know the early 2000s or whatever, when, you know, Twitter just be, became a thing and Facebook was, you know, starting to be used mostly on the residential side for marketing, marketing purposes, but it seemed to have blown up over the years. There's hashtags out there for, you know, CRE groups and is there like a lead generation strategy behind it or is it more of like a vibe and a brand element to it or are those things combined and how do you kind of get started with that? Yeah, those things are definitely combined, you know, that the vibe that you're going to create and, and the brand that you're going to create, uh, you know, is going to, you know, in some to some degree, uh, you know, guide who you're going to be getting connected with. You know, I'm probably not the first guy that, you know, somebody that is in a, you know, large corporation that's very formal and, and kind of buttoned down there. I'm probably not the first call. They're going to, you know, look at me and go, mm, you know, now they might look at what I've done and, and, you know, if they're, if they're really paying attention, they would understand. I certainly have that capability or, or anybody else, you know, in our group, but, you know, you're going to attract the first thing. I mean, people are scrolling, right. And they're, they're just kind of looking. And the first thing is, you know, what's that first, you know, split second reaction, you know, that yep. first judgment that they're going to make. So that will definitely influence um, what's happening. But if they, you know, once people go a little bit beyond that into the social proof and they're going to start looking at, you know, go down the rabbit hole, as we say, and, and start, 
digging in, they'll get the substance and, and start to see who, you know, who you are, and what you're all about. You know, funny thing happens once you start getting a lot of stuff out there, you know, before people meet you, they'll look at your social media and, you know, if you got a lot of video or whatever, they'll look at that. And then this funny thing happens when you meet people in person it, or just meet people for the first time, you've never met them before, but they feel like they know you. Right. Uh, it's yeah. a really interesting experience to, you know, to have that happen. And it kind of takes down that initial uh, barrier of getting to know somebody because they already feel like they, they know you. And, and uh, so it's, yeah, it's really helpful in, uh, in that way. We try to do the same stuff. I mean, we're a software company, but I think it's all about that brand and that vibe that you put out there. And if you could successfully get to know somebody before you actually engage on like a business relationship with them, then it just makes it that much easier to tell your story. That's right. Especially well, in that's, why that's why we were here talking today, right? It's yeah, part of exactly. The, part of the I, plan. I don't, I don't think we would have met if we, if we weren't both somewhere in the internet talking about stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Given that kind of more forward thinking vibe, tell us a little bit about this virtual brokerage concept. Sure. Yeah, the, the pandemic, you know, it accelerated the pace of a lot of changes that were already happening. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's very few things that came out of pandemic that weren't already in motion. Accelerated change by five or ten years, you know, on, on a lot of things, which you know, from my point of view is fantastic. You know, in my lifetime, I want to see as much as many things change as possible, particularly around technology and, and things like that, because I just you know love technology it's always been a huge part of my life and continues to be and you know i just i want to see as, as how far we go you know in my lifetime so accelerate stuff you know by five or ten years was great i'm like cool we're like at 2030 already let's go yeah yeah the the pandemic comes around and and you know, everybody's at home you know it it becomes so apparent you know that if you're not on social media you're invisible and then the other thing that becomes apparent after everybody is forced to do what you know we're doing right now which you know this is audio but you know you and i actually have video going as, as well you know everybody learned that when they had to they could all do this like they could all figure out how to get on a zoom and conduct a meeting and do business you know and it worked prior to the pandemic you know, I live, you know, I don't live in New York City. Yeah, you know, I live, I live about six hours outside, actually closer to Toronto uh, in Western New York. And so I've always lived in a relatively small market. Yeah, you know, I've built a business by being willing to go everywhere else and, and do business. And that worked for me. Um, but I, I was starting to explore, uh, you know, what opportunities there were to, you know, do new things without moving and, and continuing to be remote. And, and prior to the pandemic, that was not easy. Like most people yeah. were really totally the opposite. Like don't even want, don't, doesn't matter who you are. Really don't want to talk to you if you can't, you know, be. Yeah. We got to meet in person. Like if we're going to do business together, like eventually we got to like have that sit down meeting. Right. Oh, and, and even beyond that, if you want to go work for a new company, if you, what, if you can't come to the office, you know, most of the days of the week, it's a non-starter yeah. uh, and that changed. You know, if you look now on LinkedIn, a lot of jobs that are like remote only or, or you know, remote optional. Uh, and so that was a, a big change that now it's acceptable. Like you can be remote, you can not be remote. Um, I personally, by the way, think that uh, the hybrid uh, model is gonna be the biggest permanent change to the way people work that you'll see a lot of people that, you know, if you're 
job you know can be done that way i think a lot of companies will either move or be open to the idea of maybe 3 days a week in the office and yep. uh, you know 2 days a week at, at home which i think is super healthy for everybody it's more productive spending that yeah you know, particularly in a big metro area spending that time commuting is just a waste of time and yep. it's taking years off your life so if you can get some of that back that's a that's a win for everybody but what this uh you know between the uh everybody's now you know pretty much a universal acceptance of of you know video conferencing and uh our partnership with EXP uh we now can recruit across the country and uh, one of the uh one of the pieces in that the platform that we use with EXP is something called the world it's uh a you know it's a virtual world it's created by a company called Verbella while EXP has the exclusive on it in the real estate space they have the same opportunity for companies outside of it and what it is is a it's an audio plus uh, avatar location online that you go to so it's a virtual office so we log in and we you have a full you know full 3D avatar that you can dress up and get it to look like you or not like you whatever you want to do you could put clothes on <laughs> wear a costume this hat uh, they haven't let it get done in, in my opinion they could do a lot more interesting stuff with it but yeah you can create a pretty wide diversity of of avatars and you can walk around the world you you know we have a saber office within this virtual world I, I log in I go in the office I have an office that has a desk a couple of screens on the wall I can see other people and so you know it's an the communication formats audio and um, so you know if you walk into someone's office uh it'll create a private chat instantly between you and um, but I can sit at my virtual desk and see other people walking around the office going back and forth but it it's a place that you know lets people you know feel like they have a a physical place you know that they you know you can look at and by the way it it's much better to experience it it's hard to describe it over audio and and it does take a few days to get used to it but um what you'll find is that it does create the opportunity for those spontaneous interactions and that's that's the big thing that is missing from remote work a lot so we stay logged in all day you can see who's there you can kind of pop into somebody's office say hey you know what about this or that or you know have a quick conversation or just goof around there's actually little kind of it's definitely gamified there's you can go out and you know there's a you know a beach and there's motor boats you can take out and you know other things you can do to kind of goof off but yeah the the key thing is you know i can see that somebody's there in their office i can pop in on them even with slack i don't know if somebody's there or not are they going to respond to me yeah you know, then i have to text or maybe i have to call and it's all right. you know just creating frustration so this is uh yeah this is a really great tool and so what that's done is we can now recruit you know brokerage the brokerage business has been so reliant on you know like who's in what market we don't care anymore especially for our national advisory business because we work with local brokers we just need the best people to you know do the business that we do you know and and to perform the you know the roles that we have which aren't really geographically dependent and so in the last year we've got people now from you know Texas and Washington DC myself we've got people in Florida um that all are saber people so they're not local broker partners they're saber people that uh you know we were able to to recruit 
uh, just based on who they were as humans and their potential and their skills, which is a complete game changer for the brokerage business. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have to limit myself to, you know, who's in Florida or who's in Miami from the pool of people I'm going to, I'm going to pick from. And that lets you do all kinds of interesting things, which, which we're doing. Cool. At some level though, the local market expertise does come into play. Like when you actually have mm -hmm. to go like search for real estate, right? Yeah. So, you know, so we, we partner with local brokers in many, many markets across the country as we always have. Uh, and we continue to do that as we add more Sabre people in particularly major markets. We'll call on our Sabre people to be, so I'm starting a program for one of our clients in the DC market. Uh, we're, and so I'm bringing in somebody who's part of our national advisory team, but not as part of the national advisory function, he's going to come in and play the local broker role because he's there in DC. So he can do that role. So instead of going you know, to a local broker outside of our shop, we'll keep it in-house and do it that way, but playing different roles. Got it. Yep. If you could imagine like a fully virtual world, like this concept that you guys have built, can you start to like overlay property tours into that? access to data about local markets. Like I would imagine as a retail practitioner, especially for companies that are just starting to roll out their first program, the data that they need in order to inform those decisions is pretty massive, right? It could be, it's real estate data, it's demographic information, it's credit card spend, it's all sorts of things that are going to eventually equate into where does, where does the store go? How do you see that change? How do you see that world changing in, in terms of disparate forms of data, all kind of trying to inform the optimal real estate decision. Does that still require like a boots on the ground, roll up your sleeves, drive the market to figure out what's happening? Or, or is there a more transparent kind of movement happening in the retail world like that? It's an interesting discussion to have. I think that things are changing. The boots on the ground are still important, uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but it's a different role. Uh, you know, we look to our local partners to, you know, provide one is their landlord relationships, you know, they've built over time, those are very useful for us, uh, and our clients, you know, we'll look to, you know, look to them for, uh, you know, market knowledge, you know, things that are changing, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's just not in a data source anywhere, right? So you have things that are very timely, um, you know, openings in the market that, are not on the market, you know, right. all, all of, you know, things that bring real value. Um, but there is definitely um, a lighter, lesser role in our local partners in the analysis and strategic planning. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we definitely bring, you know, the tools to bear, um, not without their input, but they're rather than, I think in the past that they're, their input would have been the, the critical path or the guiding information. And now their input is you know, helping us to you know, massage what, what we're doing with the tools that we have. Unfortunately, there's, there's no single tool you know, that you were sort of painting a picture of, you know, yep. it's the opposite. Yeah, there's all these disparate data sources. And uh, you know, from the prop tech side, we haven't seen anybody partly because the different data providers don't want it to happen at this point, but you know, nobody that's been able to sort of, you know, knit all these things together. It does get easier 
every year through APIs and you know and, and other uh, you know well mostly through APIs to to connect things or to build your own sort of you know middle piece and pull in data from you know maybe you know from a predictive analytics model and you know from something like a CoStar although you can't do it from CoStar but you know that idea where you can plug in and I, and there's some folks out there that are building some tools to to be that middleware to try to pull everything together. So hopefully that yields some good results because uh, there's lots of great data sources, but they are kind of siloed right now. And, and so one of the things we do is, is pull them together kind of manually and, and you know, process the data and uh, ourselves. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things about PropTech, at least over the last decade, is that you know you, you kind of have this assumption that the end goal is to provide this like single source of truth, like transparent nirvana for everything that is related to commercial real estate data, but really what the industry is creating are a bunch of point solutions and even more disparate information out there. Now the technology might be better and the way these things can connect might be more fluid and efficient, but there's actually more choices to be made by a practitioner now or a tenant or a landlord. I mean, just like the, the, the number of startups that have popped up over were included in this category is just insane, right? So when you're in your seat and you're looking at like, okay, like how do we leverage technology for our, our clients or our own business? Like, how are you even assessing the market? And where, where does that like kind of thesis start? So your product actually, you know, to bring it around to that for a second, you know, you're some of the things that you're playing in are actually the furthest along in, we need some standards. I mean, that's really the bottom line, right? Some, some data format standards and within the lease admin and lease accounting, you know, there are some data standards so that if you're following those standards and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but my understanding is, you know, the data is going to be in a format that's pretty portable. You know, and, yep. and you know, people can take the data out of your platform into their accounting software, you know, or you know, things like that um, seamlessly. And in fact, I imagine it's probably a requirement that that happens. Yeah, right. Yeah. We we you know, so we need to continue that line of of operation, right? So having these standards for you know property data, and you know, having a a standard that you know it's a standard so everybody you know that everybody's using and now spend your effort on making the best ui and ux you know, user interface user experience you know set of tools you know don't you know don't take the the approach of trying to silo your data you know and and that doesn't work anymore for the brokerage business and so our data providers also should not be doing that and we all know who i'm talking about you know if we treated the, the data, you know, less precious and more on, you know, building tools that work together. Now I can mix and match what I want. If everybody's on the, you know, real estate 100 standard, whatever that might be. Right. You know, now I can select from different tools and, and put together, you know, the system that, that works for me and, uh, you know, and move data around. Uh, that hopefully is where we're, we're moving to in general so that, you know, every single tool that I look at, it's like, oh, I like what this does here, but I got to put the data in again, you know, and yep. every tool you got to put the data in, or if you export data, it's in such a basic format that the work's almost as hard. It's like, I want them to be connected in real time because, you know, through the, through the API on a standard that lets me, you know, pick and choose even just the parts of your platform I want to use, you know, to, and yeah, so. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a kind of a gnarly knot to untangle 
um, because you know there there's kind of a standard, but there's really not a standard, right? Like, I mean, a lease if you if you boil it down to like what a commercial lease contains, it's rent, it's square footage, it's some dates, it's some clauses. As you know, like the 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 Shake Shack landlord might have a completely different lease form than you know the Solid Core landlord, and so the leases are completely different different rent schedules while there's standard ways of negotiating leases, like the, the iterations and the permutations that you can run into when it comes to how a lease is negotiated is almost impossible to measure, right? Like, which is one of the more fascinating problems that we're setting out to solve this, at least on like the transaction management end is like as a broker who's doing, you know, hundred deals at a time for a bunch of different clients, how do you standardize your process? it might not necessarily be about standardizing the data itself, but it's like, this is our process for how we run our programs for our tenants. And if I can knit things together to make it, to allow it to uh, manifest the data and the information that I want to communicate to my client, then I might get as close as I can to having like the most efficient workflow as I can. Yeah. So, so you just described our business model. Exactly. So you, one of the opportunities in working with very small clients or clients that are starting out small is they don't have a process installed. And so we, you know, we've built our own transaction management system that, you know, provides all the stakeholders access. So that's been a big thing that, you know, that we've come to, to understand is important is, you know, to, to get this buy-in, then you have to create a tool that not only works for, for me, but works for my client and that they're going to want to use and it is bringing value. Uh, so we've, you know, in this iteration, we've done that. And, and so they've got basically almost as much access to our data as we do. Uh, we've taken a, the approach that we're going to be completely transparent with our clients. So, you know, in our platform, you know, they can see all the same comments that we've made. You know, nothing's, nothing's hidden from, from us. They can comment in it. You know, they can see in real time the changes, you know, new sites being added, you know, deal, deal terms changing. And so, you know, we started by building, you know, working out or building out the process, creating the, the platform, you know, for that process, and then inviting everybody into it. So we have one client now that, you know, they use the, the platform daily and as well as the design and construction team. Uh, that's a, a partner of ours as well. We're all working together on the same platform and we're saving, you know, it's not perfect, but we save an enormous amount of time. We have more or less one source of truth, which is super important. All of the documents are in this platform attached to the deal. So all that back and forth email, trying to find stuff is, is greatly reduced. And so just lots of little things that save everybody you know, time and effort and, and frustration. Um, and yeah, so, so we definitely do that, but there's a lot more that we could do, you know, if data was a little more portable. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's interesting kind of take on it because the point you made about, you know, not, not feeling like we need to hide some sort of communication or kind of back channel information from the client, that is, that has traditionally been the fundamental way of creating value in the brokerage world, right? Is like the yeah. broker has long since been the, um, kind of the owner of the truth, right? And I think that is starting to erode, right? The competitive advantage or, 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 or just like the advantage of using a broker is no longer, oh, like Doug only, Doug's the only guy that knows this information. So we got to go through him, not it. it how, so how do you see the, the changing, I don't want to use the word value, but role of the broker, how, how is it evolving? Because eventually, 
Yeah. I mean, we're building what you've built, right? Eventually, in our mind, everybody should be on that type of program, right? And if right. it's a single program and it's the industry standard, which would, it will eventually get to, then, you know, like, where is there still room for, like, hiding the data? Is there still room for being yeah. the agent that is the person that's getting the deal done? Like, how, how, does, it, how does it evolve in your mind? Yeah, so for better or for worse, like if you're not, if you don't know how to add value, you you like go get trained in something else. You know, you, you need a new career. The the age of um, you know of my value is uh, the you know the secrets I hold. Like that's over. Yeah, it's done. And yeah, you know, I know you guys are in New York. I work in this in New York City a lot. Like that's the the last vestige of of that there. <laughs> Um, but most other places that it's pretty much, you know, come and gone. We're taking the complete opposite approach. I will tell you whatever I know. I will tell you exactly what I do. I will tell you how I do it. Doesn't mean that telling you how to do it is not the same as you doing it. And, and I'm confident that the value that I add, that my company adds, uh, is, is much greater than the sum of the parts that we've put together. So you can find us anytime we talk on clubhouse every week you know as a company we put all kinds of stuff out on social media dm me call me i will tell you whatever you want to know I, i'll tell you exactly how i do it and yeah if you can do the same thing awesome let's compete and you know right. we're, we're not afraid of that and so uh, and i think that's the you know that is the way forward in this business and and so what what is the role of the broker you need to add value. You need to do things that are, you know, more than, you know, hoarding data, you know, the data is out there. So what else can I do? You know, know your market really well, you know, know it, you know, on the level that's that you can't see in the data. Cause there is a level of that, you oh, know, yeah. have the relationships, you know, have good relationships with, with the people in your market have a diverse set of skills, you know, what, where I've gone in my career and, and in the advisory work that we do, you know, where I, the transactions we do are the means to an end. There's nothing particularly special about that. Yeah. We're all competent negotiators, but that's not, you know, there's a lot of people that are good negotiators. What our value is, is that we understand, you know, operations, we understand finance, we understand, how to use a pro forma, we understand how to build a pro forma, you know, we, and it's not to say that that's what we're doing for our client, but when you come to the table with those skill sets, whether you're new, you've acquired the skills more recently or you're, you're learning, when you can do more than just, you know, accumulate data, you can, you can add value to your client's program. You can be a counselor and an advisor to them and give opinions uh, and and help them with you know it, from a broader base of of knowledge and and be a real part of the team uh, you know i think that that to us is is how you you know you add value in this in this process um you know just taking things off of their plate uh you know and, and doing it for them uh, you know just look at your look at what goes on around you uh, you know, what the different tasks are, what can you do to, to bring more value that doesn't require, you know, just simply, you know, knowing something, you know, that the next guy didn't find out. Yeah, or just looking at, looking at it from a purely transactional standpoint, 
will like lead you down the wrong path because now you're just thinking about like, oh, requirement space. Like, how do I just fit these two pieces together? Whereas, you know, what you described is like, we really want to understand like why our customers are the why behind what they're trying to solve, right? And if you could be as knowledgeable about that as possible, as quickly as possible, then the real estate kind of takes care of itself. Like there's inventory, everybody knows what's available. Obviously there's nuances in local markets where, you know, tenant land broker landlord relationships might yield something that isn't necessarily apparent but until you've kind of ingrained that customer's ethos into your process then it's i imagine it's much easier to then reach success at a much faster rate because you're kind of inside their brain more than you are inside just like your own brain trying to like get a real estate deal done for sure. And, you know, and if we want to talk about like the leasing side, it's not, you know, so we represent tenants. So, you know, I know, you know, I, I think of all the time about how to add value there, but on the leasing side and for your landlords, you know, what are the other ways you can add value? You know, how can you contribute to, you know, helping the landlord develop a social media profile or presence for their shopping center? How can you use your personal brand, you know, to, you know, to bring something to, you know, to that project, you know, what do you, you know, how do you think about, you know, leasing and what creative ways can you, you know, lease? What do you know about, you know, alternative uses, you know, and, and a lot of these are, you know, just sort of like how to get space leased, but it, I think it's on a, it's on a different level. The really creative leasing is done by people who spend a lot of time thinking differently about how they do that job you know, and, and take a very you know different approach to that than just, you know, the usual suspects. Yeah. Like how do you connect with the brands that you want in your space? Right. I mean, from a retail perspective, I would imagine the positioning of a shopping center or a mall or, uh, you know, street level retail in a, in a multi-use uh, building, like that there's different audiences. So like, how do you, where do they live? If, it, if Sweetgreen is really heavy in social media and they're putting a certain vibe out around who they want their customers to be coming into their stores. Like just look at that and try to mirror that as much as possible. If like, that's the type of tenant you want in your building. So we have a sister, we have a, yeah, we have a sister company called hello, Jenny, that uh, is pioneering something called social leasing. I won't go into it here. I'm not all that great at explaining it succinctly, but you go check it out. It's hellojenny.com. They're using influencer marketing and some other really creative uh, techniques that work with the broker. They do not supplant the broker. It's uh, it's not taking it doesn't take fees off of you know out of anybody's pocket. It's a cost to the landlord, and it it's actually lead gen for the for the brokers. Um, but uh, yeah, I urge people to to take a look at it. It's it's a really innovative way of leasing a shopping center that really isn't being done. Uh, yeah, when you look at it, it sort of becomes obvious. It's obvious, but not easy. I think that's, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, again, I'll show you how to do it. You got to, then you got to go actually do it. Yeah. You got to um, commit yourself to doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these are, yeah, these are things that, that are, are a lot harder to execute than they, they are to understand. So, yeah, so it's, it's the same idea of value add from, you know, from the property leasing side. Yeah. There's room for other people to do it. There's way more demand for it uh, than we can fill right now. So, but that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Cool. Okay. Shifting gears just a little bit. Um, if we were to take a five minute tour around the country, then the major metros, like what's happening out there. If you start with New York and you go down the East coast and then 
kind of wrap up around the West Coast or Midwest? Sure. Like, what are you seeing out there? So, you know, New York is is finding its way back uh, in the more residential markets. Uh, you know, the rents in the, over the last few weeks, actually. So here's like, this is that example of, you know, really current, like on the ground information versus, you know, the stuff you can see in data. So on the ground experience over the last two to three weeks the rents in the residential markets, like in Manhattan and, and in some of the ones in Brooklyn are going up week over week uh, and getting close to, uh, not all the way back, but some of them are getting pretty close to where they were pre-pandemic and it's moving fast. And the deals, you know, that glut of space is going away. Other parts of Manhattan and, and the city still hurting, still lagging. So it's it's not across the board, um, but definitely, you know, signs of life. And and in some places, uh, you know, quite lively. Florida is uh, particularly South Florida, the Miami uh, metro area, probably the hottest market in the country. Um, yeah, there was barely a pandemic there from a right. business standpoint. Uh, you know, I won't rehash everything that everyone's read in the news, but, you know, you feel it on the ground. Space is hard to come by. There are no deals. It is a landlord's market and rents are every bit that they were, you know, a year and a half ago, if not more. And everybody wants to be there. So tough market to get deals done. Yeah, as, as you kind of, uh, you know, move through the South, Texas, same kind of deal, very hot, you know, a lot of activity, Phoenix, Denver, you know, super healthy, you know, just not, there, there's no COVID deals out there. California, Southern California, interesting, um, not a huge amount of surplus space, um, not, actually, not a ton of activity, but also the landlords have just been holding the line and, and not, there wasn't a lot of price cutting. There's a, you know, some amount of you know functionally vacant space so you know there's maybe a tenant in there but they're not paying the rent but that that's gonna start shaking out but yeah they really just sat on stuff and and so um you know there's again there's deals to be had but not a huge amount of vacancy rents pretty healthy not any uh, real big discounts so yeah you know, i think across the board you know the markets are recovering and um, if you're in the market for a space you want to be in an a center it's going to look a lot like 2019 to you, you know, if you're in, you know, the top 25 metros in the country, uh, I think is what you're going to find. Um, and, you know, the space is vacant in 2019, still vacant today, probably still be vacant a year from now. But Doug, this has been awesome. Thanks for joining us. Um, really appreciate your insights on, on everything, the industry, your business, which is a super differentiated model, the market, any parting thoughts for our audience here? Uh, well, you're welcome. Again, appreciate the invitation, the opportunity to talk to people about what's going on and what they're up to, what we're up to. Parting thoughts, uh, you know, be open-minded, be, you know, creative. Uh, what worked yesterday probably isn't going to work tomorrow. So if you're doing the same thing, you are probably already, you know, have been passed by somebody else. So just, you know, keep innovating, keep, you know, be open-minded, uh, you know, work differently, just, you know, just do something different and you'll get results over time. Cool. And how can we find you? Find me on LinkedIn, uh, which is just under my name, Douglas Jerum. It's J-E-R-U-M. Instagram at D-J-E-R-U-M. Uh, and you can always uh, hit us up at saber.life, which is our website, uh, saber, S-A-B-R-E dot L-I-F-E. And you can track any of us down uh, 
through there and happy, you know, DM me, call me, email, happy to, to talk with anybody who's got questions or wants to connect. Awesome. Well, Douglas, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Take care.